Welcome back to Get With The Programming. I'm Chase Ingram. I'm Captain America. And along with me is Bill Grundler. Wolverine. We've got one more. I think that was seven seconds because I, I, that's what I heard the magic number is. And <laughs> I think it was safe. Well, I, see, there's a lot of positive things there. One, you didn't mess up yours. I didn't have YouTube on and blast out my ears true. and have to yell. Brian came on smooth with his music. I mean, I mean, I was trying to hit the the that's three for turn three, his dude. camera on. We already won. Hit the the thing. I even like put it in uh, GarageBand and like cut it to six point nine seconds because I, I heard seven <laughs> is the magic number. So. Uh, Brian Friend is joining the show today as we analyze the programming of the Madrid CrossFit Championship. However, you have really been all over Europe, I would say, in the last two or three weeks, and you are located where now? Halmstad, Sweden, on the coast of the North Sea. So I saw you with Roger. Was that earlier today? Yeah, I met his whole family. It's amazing. How's he doing? His family has gotten big fast. (laughs) <laughs> they got a three-year-old and a nine-month-old. Okay. Yeah. I think the last time I saw Roger, I think that was both of us when we were in uh, Amsterdam together. And he was talking about one on the we way. We were reminiscing on it today. Yeah. Oh, really? That was a good time. That was a good time. What do you guys think about my camera setup? I changed yeah, we it today. Over- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like more exposed. Well, you are. I mean... I mean, like, I hope you're wearing pants, is, is all I say, because we've got this, Look, all it's, the Look, it's right, right there. Now. Like, here's the desk. We're right. good. <laughs> my desk is kind of off. And then, like, my wife got a new office chair, so she gave me her old one. Are you and, just spinning circles right now? Well, I, I've been in, like, a uh, like a fold-out chair, like the ones you take to, like, a soccer game. <laughs> nice. Nice. And so I upgraded to uh, my wife's downgrade. <laughs> I get her, I get all her like office hand me downs because she's like the real professional in the family. <laughs> no, I am not. But uh, Brian, how's the tour been, man? You were uh, I want to say you went Finland to uh, where where um, Pit Teen and then uh, Utah Utah. Oh yeah, God, Iron Game. Was it Utah first? Finland, Iron Game, then Pitteen Throwdown, yeah. And then Madrid. And now you're in Sweden. What's coming up in Sweden? Holmstad Throwdown. It's not a, there's not a broadcast. It's not a, a major or big uh, event for elite athletes. There are a couple athletes like Victor Longsved, I believe, is competing here, but it's all teams. There's 400 total athletes. There's a men's women's and mixed teams for RX intermediate and scale divisions. But Roger Grios is hosting it. He hosts, I think eight competitions every Dude, year. That now guy between Norway and loves Sweden. that stuff. So he many loves that stuff. You give that guy a microphone and he is fired up. Seriously. He's rad. So I just, I just reached out to him because I knew that this year I would have more opportunity to travel. And I was like, hey, when are your competitions? Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that there was one that was when I was already in Europe that I was, didn't have something to get back for. And this worked out perfectly. So I asked him if I could come. He's like, why do you want to come to that one? <laughs> 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 and I'm like, oh, I just want to see you work. I want to see the show that you produce because mm-hmm. you, you run more competitions annually than anyone I know. Right. And he's like, perfect. Come on out. I'll take care of you. So I'm here. Nice. Nice. Now, does he, I, I don't remember, does he also own or run an affiliate 
He's a manager for CrossFit Furuset okay. in Norway. Dude, I don't know. That, like, I've put on one event a year for several years, and and Brian came out to one of them. And that's enough to where, like, I don't want to do it again for, like, another year. And then, like, four months to the date, I'm like, all right, maybe we'll do it again. I cannot imagine doing eight. Yeah. I mean, what is that, one every six weeks? You know, I actually, I actually had a conversation with joe uh, uh like last week that i met down there in dallas oh really yeah he reached out so i had a nice conversation with him it was good to catch up with him again yeah no oh. i think it takes i think it takes a special kind of person to want to be able to um uh, put on events like that because i mean you know most of the time it's not like that's going to be your financial ticket you're not going to get you know a ton of money or anything like that, but he, mm-hmm. I know he loves the, I mean, the guy, dude, Roger's a showman. He loves to just put on a show mm-hmm. and not that he has to be the center of attention, but he loves to make a spectacle and have people just like get after it, whatever it is. And just fire people up. Like he's very, he puts a lot of energy into every single one of those. It's not like, you know, he'll go big for the big ones and just kind of kick back for the back ones. That guy, mm-hmm. he's all in all the time. It's awesome. Well, also to like emceeing at certain events or, you know, he like ran to the community side at Olin's yeah. two years ago. Like he just, he is, he's all in. I love it. Yeah. It was today because we were uh, like the equipment arrived today. We did a tour of the venue. We went to a Lakos factory today. I got a full tour of a Lakos factory? factory, including watching oh, them damn. manufacture a barbell. Oh, package. wow. It was like, I never thought I would get, it was like really cool, kind of a surreal experience. But throughout the day, he was actually educating me on some of the economics and the like business side of of running these competitions, which is one of the reasons I wanted to come is because I felt like I could learn a lot from him. And so Mm -hmm. far I have been. From the ones you've been to this year alone, I mean, I know you've been to a bunch, we've all been together at at, at several of these, but the cool thing I think you're doing now is that like you are going big to small to intermediate to like the Madrid, Madrid is Wadapalooza level. If we think about sure number of athletes competing in divisions and, and very similar to that, what are some of the things that you're picking up on that maybe you didn't know about previously? Well, for people that, that care to have the really deep dive, Patrick and I are doing a show. Uh, it's a world tour, whatever show, after mm-hmm. every stop on the tour. And I'm writing uh, memoirs. The memoirs would be for people who care more about competition organization and uh, programming. Mm-hmm. And then the the other the you know the conversation on YouTube touches on that a little bit, but it's more about that. It's probably more focused on the athletes. Um, and so those are kind of the two aspects that I would say that I'm really learning about. And realizing that, you know, well, first of all, you know, I I try to have as big of a scope of understanding of the competitive athletes in CrossFit at the high level that I can. But on the other side, I think it is much more about the uh, organization, business and like execution level of these competitions from big to small Mm -hmm. and identifying best practices, basically, the things that work regardless of who you're hosting the competition for. Um, and, but sometimes the buckets change. Like if you want to have a broadcast, that's a totally different ball game than if you don't, if you want to have a big prize purse, there's some things that should be, probably be considered on the judging and scoring and programming side that matter more than if you don't have a big prize purse, where there's not as much on the line necessarily. Um, but those are all kind of woven in and embedded into the writing and the conversations with, that I've been doing mm-hmm. with Patrick. That'll be really interesting because, you know, we keep talking about the, the off season season. 
Right. And, you know, what are these athletes going to be doing in between? And what's, uh, you know, what does a Grand Prix look like if it is something like that? Or how are these other things going to happen? And the only way you can really do that is by, you know, gleaning from the best that's out there, not just who do you invite, what kind of prize purse you need to have, but how do you, how do you make it run? How do you run that setup to where it's professional enough to be handled. It's, it's done uh, correctly enough so that you have the right athletes showing up there and that you have community based still where you have that uh, you know, the audience and the community involvement, whether it's is, you know, scaled intermediate competitors or just being able to open up the door so that fans can come and want to watch. I mean, a lot of times it's like just getting people there. You guys have a great competition, but if you don't have ticket sales, mm-hmm. you're that, that program's not going to be running next year. You know, so it's like trying to figure out, and I think that's great that you're doing that, Brian, is seeing what those best practices are, what's working, what's not working. And the only way you can really do that is by seeing a lot of those events from behind the curtain, not out in front to see, oh, the program exists. And look, look at this athlete that showed up. It's all the behind the scenes stuff. That's huge. Well, and, and this week, I'm not doing any broadcast. I will maybe do some stuff on social media with them, but I'm competing in the competition. So I'll get oh. yep that perspective as well is this the pairs Dang. thing yes this okay. is kind of cool so it's a, there's an rx intermediate scale i'm doing intermediate men's teams of two nice the rx division runs on both saturday and sunday i believe the scaled athletes compete on saturday and intermediate on sunday so they have one day competition three mm-hmm. three events my partner is a business partner of Rogers, who is also the personal trainer for a guy named Ar- Marcus Erickson, who is an IndyCar driver. He used to be an F1 driver for seven years. Huh. They, they just got back from a tour all over the U.S. And he actually got back to Sweden after more like closer to the competition than I did. So he's probably going to be a little jet lagged, but he's definitely in better shape than me. <laughs> Along the line, what Bill was talking about, and then we'll get into the programming for Madrid, is the question of the health of the I would say competition landscape, right? Putting on events takes a lot of time, energy, money, volunteers. But we do want to make sure is that people are coming out to watch these things or they're exciting or there's a lot of energy around this is being everywhere. Like how have you seen maybe that represented in all these different competitions you've been at so far? Oh, can you ask that again? Just the, uh, the, the people showing up to watch these things or the vibe of these events, right? We, we want to see that there is a healthy growth because there was a time where maybe there were too many off-season events, big or small, didn't really matter, or, or the way they were run, people maybe were getting jaded or burned out or not involved. Is like, how have you seen the community show up for these events? Massive variability. Uh, I would say relative to what the competition was, the, the Finland community, the Finland uh, competition that I did was the most well attended from a spectator perspective. Like really? it was the venue that they had was packed. Um, it is, you know, this is like the, the perfect day, the best days of the year. It's an outdoor event. Mm. The city sponsors the competition. Mm. It's one of the, the th- I think it's the third biggest city in Finland. And that I think is actually a huge factor. And I know that there were representatives from Madrid, the city of Madrid that were mm-hmm. at the Madrid championships that are interested in working with them to promote the event and, and, and help push it forward next year as well. Or at least that's what they were there to investigate if they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge help. I've spoken with some, I've actually, as part of 
being on the road, I've had a chance to talk to some other competitions that I'm not working with who have seen me doing some stuff and reached out. And they've told me the opposite, that like the country or the city does not support their event. They almost are like pushing against it. And that's a massive challenge and it drives costs up and it's, it's prohibitive. Mm -hmm. So that I would say that, you know, and there's, and their perspective is we want to change that culture. We're going to fight against it because we believe in this thing. But, you know, if that's a place that you're in that doesn't have the support of the city or the country, that's super challenging. Next week, I'm going to Norway. And in Norway, the government funds functional fitness as a, as a, as a national sport. Oh. So that's a massive advantage. Is that why the IF3 is out of there mainly? Yes, and they're having the world championships there, I think, in November. But okay. I, I w- was thinking about attending from an educational perspective, but I'll, I already have competitions booked for that time. Um, you know, uh, the pit team throwdown was pretty good, but you'd expect that because it's all the parents and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> they, had, they had to drive them uh, there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then like iron games is way out there. Like, mm. I don't know if you guys have gone to that, but it's a difficult location to get to whether you find the salt Lake or Vegas, it's at least a three hour drive. There are flights into Cedar city, but they're few and they're expensive. So that's a logistical challenge. Um, and Madrid was, I mean, you guys, if you've been to Cajamajica, it's a massive venue. Massive. They had three floors, 2,800 athletes. So there were people everywhere, but the stands in the main arena weren't full, even on the busiest day. They were mm. getting fuller and fuller every day, but they didn't pack it out. So it was hard to kind of gauge because it looked kind of empty, but I, I know there were right. a couple thousand people in there. Yeah. Well, um, that's interesting. Very interesting. And I'm, have you learned anything from how these events that get to work with the cities or the countries, how that process works. And maybe it's like, okay, it would be great if cities in the U S would be as supportive about this from a sports and gaming perspective or event perspective. Yeah. I say. So uh, two things is like, uh, I think Madison is actually a decent example of how they embrace the city. And when you were there for the CrossFit games, even if you don't, if you just lived in the city and you didn't know what that, that was going on, you would know it was going on because you'd see these billboards around the town. You'd see these advertisements, you'd see menus at your favorite restaurants. They were like, what is this CrossFit menu? What is this? You'd be curious <laughs> about it. So it's driving interest or at least curiosity just by promoting the event and in turku in finland the city that has it that was the same there were banners promoting it and like you know if you're in the town you knew it was happening it was on the it was advertised basically so that's an advantage and then uh you know the other one that i think is a big one is interesting here is um they they don't drive up the cost for the venues because they know that most of, that a high percentage of the competitors are traveling here Okay. So they recognize that the people traveling here will buy hotel rooms and they'll buy, go to bars and they'll buy restaurants and they'll mm-hmm. take the public transportation. So they're not, they know that there's going to be money coming into their ecosystem and they don't need to have exorbitant costs for their venues because they're supporting an event that supports their community by bringing in people from outside the community. Hey, Brian, let me ask you one thing. I just saw this uh, when I was kind of looking at through some of the stuff on the game site. And I went into competition because I thought it was the game. I was going to try to look at it some workout from oh, before. I know you went. Um, but the number of licensed CrossFit events from the events that you have now seen, have all of them been licensed CrossFit, CrossFit events or no? I know that Turun uh, Tumiopaiva in Finland was. Uh, I believe the Pit Team Throwdown. I know that Madrid Championship. This one is not. And I can't remember about Iron Games. But... <clears throat> I do think that there's 
a massive opportunity for CrossFit to have, it's not even a lot of effort to have a, uh, an impact on promoting the CrossFit licensed events. And do you, that, do you, that's something do you, that I really hope happens. Do you think that that's actually, I mean, maybe it's almost kind of like, even even kind of like teeters on the line of why would someone want to be a CrossFit affiliate? Because they actually get to say CrossFit in it rather than just, you know, Joe Bob strength and conditioning. Um, do these events get more kind of clout because it's a CrossFit event rather than a throwdown or a functional fitness of or whatever? I, I really would be interested to see, like, as you're going through all these things and talking to these people, if that really is making worth, because I had, I was shocked that there were that there were that many right now that are licensed. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. Right now, yeah, there are quite a few, and right now I would say that uh, CrossFit could do a better job of supporting those without a lot of extra work, and it's something that I'm uh, quite hopeful that happens. I think that, you know, I watch I watch a lot of disc golf, and I follow the disc golf network, and it's like when one event's happening. So like last week, Madrid, that's a licensed event. When that's happening they're advertising the events that are happening next week. Mm. And then I get interested in it. Like I finished the Madrid championships and I'm like, Oh, what's next week? There's the, I mean, this uh, competition. You cool. would think that they would be connected. I mean, they're all licensed by, so you'd think that they would kind of pump that somehow. There's tiers, I believe too, to the licensing. Um, I'm not one, two or three might be the tier. Huh. What I would like to see is one that Brian's talking about is a promotion of that, a worldwide calendar that can be sorted by state and city that has events in your area. So now you say you're tier one and say it's 500 bucks. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like and it gets country, you on the count and, and country. International. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, searchable by, let's say location on a calendar and it connects to your registration site. So if I'm like, Hey, I'm in Dallas, Texas. I want to pull up the calendar for all events happening in Dallas, Texas for the month of November. Like, I think that should be at a bare minimum. There's some of that, but I would love to see is like that last year, something like the Madrid CrossFit championship of whatever that financial number is like you, they put on a broadcast, but I was talking with Hanu today and like the, the broadcast itself, like the pictures, graphics, camera, like that was legit. The fact, did they have like a boom in there? Like a crane? Massive crane. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When you start pulling out a crane camera for a broadcast, right? This is legit. I would love to see, say, on the game site, them at least host the feed from there too. Like all they have to do is just open up the front page. Like this is our top tier Cross It license event. You can watch it on YouTube via our Cross It game site. Like that. Right. Or or put it on .com. Like however you want to put those things together, but. I think these bigger tiered uh, sponsored you know, look, events for, for the pit team throwdown, Adrian Bosner was there and he reposted. Yeah, the he posted Dave it. Castle Dave posted it. The, link. the games Instagram posted it and they don't repost anything that nobody else like outside of what they do is, which I thought was a <laughs> freaking. Well, that's what I mean. Like yeah, they should have some sort of connection. Tier, like that's, that. a, that's a easy, easy thing to do. It doesn't yeah. take a lot of work to do it. They don't, yeah. yeah. Just, Hey, here's the live feed. You can watch it through here. Then it brings more eyes to the live stream through another entity, which if they, they've done in the past, I feel like they did that for Dubai one year, maybe, but, uh, yeah, I like to see that, that relationship. Like when they were grow. doing the sanctionals and stuff, they were they were they would yes, those exactly, up. right? You know, and I think I think what happened, I think what happened was when the licensing started, it was more like a look. 
we're going to go hands off. You guys do your thing, but we'll let you put your name, the name on it. So here's this, here's the, the licensing agreement, the licensing amount, whatever it is, and just kind of go with it. I don't know if they really decide. It was just kind of like easy money. It's like, it's like if I have a templated workout program, I'm not going to put a lot of work into it. I'm going to keep the price down so I get a lot of people to do it rather than saying like, okay, now we're going to push these because now we want to say that like, hey, these are our people. This is one of our big events. And that idea of having that tiered setup, that's huge. I mean, absolutely. It should be, there should be, you know, on, on the on the main site, those things should be popping up. On the CrossFit game site, those things should be popping up. I mean, they already put up a bunch of uh, posts anyway. Advertise, throw up their next event, the next licensed event that's coming up. Why not? We're paying for it. I think that's fair. Let's see. I'll pull this up. I don't get off track, but this is a great conversation. <laughs> well, uh, I think Brian, here, Brian, Cro- can- CrossFit license event application. License event. Uh, functional fitness competition where organizers can use the CrossFit license event icon, your name plus CrossFit license events. Uh, you get put on the game's website in the competition sections. Eligible. You must have a level one certificate. Okay. Uh, the event organizer owns an affiliate or is sponsored by an affiliate insurance participation waiver judges. Ooh, all judges must take an online cross at judges course annual fee of $1,000 a year to be a licensed events. You get a $300 discount for affiliate owners. Roger told me today it's like it's it's not very expensive. It's like the amount I spent on pizza on a weekend for my staff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that. He said Uh, that judge. All judges take the judges course is an interesting one. I don't know if they're um, monitoring that or not. Yeah, (laughs) probably not yet. But uh, maybe if they change uh, the judges course. Hey, was was NorCal a licensed event? I don't believe so. Yeah. Well, I don't, think, I don't think it was. It seemed to get a little more support from uh, some important people at CrossFit than uh, some of the license events. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's <laughs> one of the one of the uh, feathers in your cap of being relatively close to those people. Yeah, and everybody's back <laughs> here. Lo- locale wise, yeah. So but you're right. Yeah, but you're right. Like, I mean, hey, yeah. if I'm Madrid and I see that they, you know, I don't care about that. It's like I paid to be the license event. They didn't, and you're going there and promoting their event, and you didn't say one thing about ours. Mm. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Watch, but the, that's also I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel good about that. That also comes down to when you say you're going to license, like, is there other than, well, then maybe it's just that it's like, okay, you're, you're paying your thousand or $700. What you get out of that is nothing extra other than you get to say CrossFit on there. So whether they're promoting or not promoting, I'm not saying that it's right. I'm not saying anything like that, but it's like, what are the expectations of that thousand of that thousand dollars? You know what I mean? Like that chase. Hey, yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you go. Sick. I love it. Uh, well, hey, on, on that front, you know, as we'll step into the program here for Madrid is I think there's a lot of untapped potential to support these off-season competitions, especially if they're CrossFit licensed. And again, there's a lot of moving parts within the company and a lot of things. I mean, if, if you think about priority shifts between that, sure, but that would be a fun rabbit hole to go down is maybe revamping the license agreement for these competitions in some type of tiered system and what could come with that. Totally. And I will say this, based based on some conversations that I've had, I do believe that there are personnel in place and intent for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
there's a difference between intent and follow through. So we will see. Yes, there is. Well, let's go to the Madrid CrossFit Championship that ended last weekend. Brian, can you remember that? It was four days? For the elite uh, uh, athletes, it was four days, seven tests, two, one, two, two. All the other uh, divisions had three days. There were 2,800 total athletes participating, including the elite divisions. So a massive production and also an elite level competition globally that was, you know, uh, high caliber, big prize purse and broadcast. What was the uh, prize purse for this? I know that uh, they only pay out three spots, but it's 30,000, 15,000, and 6,000 euros, one, two, three, for okay. the men and, and women. And then the teams was like 20,000, 10,000, 5,000, or something like that. Ten, yeah. uh, it was divisional above by a four, so it was like 20,000, 12,000, 6,000. Okay. And so. they had a huge broadcast, which you got to be a part of. And then it was it, is it Greg? Greg Langto. Yeah. Yeah. First ever live broadcast for him. He's a MC. One of the, I, I remember say, him from the, best the West. MCs in the world. Yeah. He does a French throwdown. He did Lowlands with us. Uh, he was out there. Uh, he does a lot. He's got a, a big history going back in Montreal and Eastern Canada. He used to compete on regionals teams. He's good friends with Michelle Latendre, Pat mm-hmm. Vellner. He's been around for a long time. A good yeah. friend of mine. And I was going to say, is like, I think he's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, he's from Montreal. <laughs> but uh, a huge broadcast. What type of feedback did you hear from the athletes of this seven event format across four days where i mean two one two two and one just being like a lift day like what type of feedback did you get from if the athletes you, if you could get to it we'll talk about that all right we'll get there all right uh all right uh, so, i would say this i would say that the big feedback at the end of the weekend was i'm not destroyed by this competition and i'm happy about that oh that's good oh especially that's for plus. an off season right that's a plus unlike the early dubai days where i was like oh, oh god right. even last year even last year at Rogue, the athletes were really unhappy. They're like, "That was I did not want to feel this bad at the end of this competition. It's a total disruption of my off-season. And mm-hmm. at Wadapalooza, if you did both the teams and uh, individuals, was, it's the Pat same Brent thing. Pat talking that way, yeah. Yeah, and I think that I, I really do believe that competition organizers have heard that message and are trying, trying to uh, make a change in that regard. Well, it's good to hear. Uh, all right, event number one, a chipper-style test, 15 box jump-overs at 42 and 32 inches, 30 sandbag squats at 80 and 60 pounds, 45 GHC sit-ups, 30 pistols, 15 deficit strict handstand push-up. We're, we're on parallettes, right? They were on parallettes, and they, the a programmer for this, as you see in the bottom right there, QHP, that's Elliot Simmons and uh, his team, they intended for these to be ballistic blocks. When they found out they were parallettes, they changed the deficit. It ended up being, I think, 10 centimeters for men and 5 centimeters for women, which is about uh, 5 to 6 inches yeah. and three to f- maybe 3 inches. Yeah. Uh, 60, 48 cals on the assault bike right there, smack dab in the middle, and then you work way back 15, 30, 45, 30, 15. Uh, I like having the not having a buy-in with the bike. I like putting that in the middle. Did you see that really being a place where most athletes were just kind of like actively recovering from what they just did and then saving it for the back half? Or how did you see this unfold live? 
I saw a massive, a massive difference in strategy to the 15, 16, 60, or, or slash 48 and 15, basically depending on your proficiency with the strict handstand pushups. So Annika mm. Greer is a good example. Ripped through them, one of the first to the bike, like six, six women in her heat got off the bike before her, but she ripped through them again and beat them all back to the next implement. So she just like sandbagged the bike, knowing that she could do the handstand pushups in one or two sets where everyone else would take three to five. And she got right back up into the lead. The uh, inverse to that was like uh, Luka Jukic. It's a tough movement for him. This is probably the strict deficit handstand push. It was probably like the, the biggest crux of the weekend for him. I think he managed to work out really well. But he kind of he knew he was going to have to break on the handstand push-ups either way. So he wanted to make some of that time up on the bike. And he felt that uh, aerobically he could recover from that. So he pushed the pace on the bike and probably had a faster split time than most. And, uh, and kind of... Uh, made up for the fact that he knew he was going to have to take one or two extra breaks compared to most of his close competitors in the handstand pushup. Um, with the, uh, the sandbags. Well, first of all, when I, when I looked at this, I like the high box jump over. I, I, I think the hands on, right. You could do the hands on. It depends. You had to jump in. on, but you could use your hands to get off. Okay. That was the, that was how the rule was written. Maybe the uh, application was variable. I think 32 <laughs> inches a little, is a little weird for the ladies. Yeah, and I, I the weirdest thing to, the weirdest thing to me about this was that it was presented with inches and centimeters in the yeah. same <laughs> inches, centimeters, yeah. and pounds going on. <laughs> I know, yeah. totally. And and actually, there were some problems with the customs for some of the equipment. So they didn't even have sandbags; they were D balls, basically sand balls. Okay. Uh -huh. And the weight was a little different than that. They had to make a few changes to the tests very late in the game based on equipment uh, showing up or not showing up. Okay. Uh, with that number, uh, do you think the intent was, like, I think that 80 and 60 pounds, I, oh, man, like, that's sneaky. Because... Sneaky shitty. I mean, like, everyone, all these athletes, 150 and 100. So all of a sudden you're like, 80? the hell's 80 pounds? All right. I guess I'm going to go 30 unbroken, huh? This, I, th I do think this is quite a clever uh, workout design. So basically, the first 15 box jump overs, even though they're high, it's right out the gate, first thing of the weekend, first movement. They're not that hard. Right. The yeah. last 15, after you've done 30, 69, <laughs> 120 <laughs> squats, yeah. counting the pistols, and 60 cows on the bike, mm -hmm. that looked like a max effort jump for some of the athletes by the back I end. I believe it. I believe it. I like this one. I like the length of it. I like the movement changes right you got the explosive jump into the squat into the ghd and then back to the pistols where those three all put together do not help your pistols so it's not like the most casual 30 pistols in the world no and then were they all alternating of that or was it one leg alternating legs uh 15 like old school style another okay yep. okay yeah uh and then the strict pair lets like 15 and 15 on either end of 60 or 48 cows on the bike like that's difficult and i it looked like you either had it or you didn't in a, in a sense. And like, if you didn't, then you really weren't, couldn't make it up anywhere unless you were marginally okay with it. Like you were talking about like Luka Jukic. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, I think the strict handstand pushup, like you look at that thinking, okay, do I have handstand pushups? But what I see that as is that is your, re that's your recovery for your legs. Hmm. Yeah, because it's a slow down. Like if it was regular handstand push-ups, you'd go through that so fast, and you wouldn't have any sort of break for your legs. But if you have these athletes that are doing breaks on the fifteen handstand push-ups, and I think generally speaking, P 
people aren't going to try to hammer the bike. They'll go through the bike because they know they have to come back hard on that back end. They know what it felt like coming down too. I mean, they know exactly what the sandbag squats felt like. And now knowing that you have to go pistols into the sandbag squats, you're like, oh, okay. And there were very few athletes. You had to do 15 and then advance and 15 for the sandbag squats and the pistols. And in the first round, no one dropped the sandbag. In the second round, you Everybody. could tell that there were people that had no they had no desire to drop it, but they had no choice but to drop it. <laughs> yeah, that's a sneaky. I like it. The other thing that I, the other thing I really liked about this was the placement of it. I think that I think back, you know, there's only seven tests, or even though it's four days. And what does seven tests remind you of? That's a regional. That's a Mm -hmm. semifinal. And when I think about regionals specifically, historically, when does the chipper often show up? Middle to back half of the of the competition. I like this right out the gate. It's a different. Uh, I think that you can have variability in the programming, even with the same number of workouts and, and style of workouts that you choose, just by mixing the order up a little bit. So I kind of like this one out the gate. I think that they also had, I mean, Elliot Simmons, I mean, that he was good at these type of events. So I think you have a really good type of athlete that really understands all those different pieces and what that's going to feel like all the way through and what that intent should feel like all the way through. We were really uh, fortunate to have him. He came on the broadcast, I think, every day. Yeah, I heard and that. He gave some insights and some perspectives. And he was very self-critical. He was very uh, analytical. I mean, his passion and intent was, was really high. And off the, off the broadcast, I was able to talk to him. And this is something that I, I don't know because I haven't had a lot of conversations with people like this. I don't know that many people who program for 3,000 athletes. He seemed to care just as much about the all of the divisions that they program for, not just the elite ones, which was really cool. Good. That is an artiste right there. Yeah. I mean, care about all your work. Um, All right. Switch gears from event one to event two, 42, 30, 18, chest of our pull-ups, 21, 15, nine snatch. The weight increases as you go from 21, 15 to nine men go from 65 kg to 85 women, 45 to 65, which is, what was it? Basically like 135, 155, 185-ish for the men, and then women kind of like a 95, 115, 135. 135. Chase, do you know what the name of this workout means? No, what does it mean? Facilito. Facilito. Could it be simpler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, and you think about what we just did because when you first look at this, I'm like, damn, that's a lot of pulling. It's a lot of pulling up from you know from a hang position to a chest to bar to the to the pull up bar, and then pulling from the floor to overhead. A good combo in between those snatches towards the end, I think, force people to squat more than maybe they could have anticipated going forward. Uh, legs being a little toasty from the first workout of or first event of the day. And adding in a bunch of pulling that we didn't have in the first event, which I, I did like. And I like the volume of chest to bars versus, say, 21.59 of this. I think it made the pull-ups matter more. And then increasing the weight each round from the 21 to 15 to 9, I, I really did like. This was, I mean, and I'm very partial to pull-ups and snatches or overhead squats. I mean, we've talked about that even in the text thread yesterday. You guys were talking about your little rowing workouts. Mm. And like, it's don't, you know what? Don't worry about that. I'll be over here doing pull-ups and overhead squats. So I, <laughs> when I saw this one, I was like, hell yeah, I like this one, like the numbers. And you're right. I think it's important that they double up on the pull-ups because 21, 15, nine for any level of intermediate 
she's intermediate athlete up. That's a waste of time. So I think that that's really good to, to double that up and, and go chest to bar as well. Um, I love that the snatch weight goes up and it isn't, it's not like you're, you're, you know, having to snatch 225 or like, you know, some crazy number. It forces these athletes that, okay, I can do these as unbroken as possible. How many, how many on that last set, Brian, were you seeing a lot of singles or were they able to do like chunks at a time for the snatch? Yeah. Uh, there were a few athletes that would do uh, three in a row. Most and that's about what I would look at. Think singles at, yeah. throughout yeah. the entire workout. Mm -hmm. Really? Wow. I was looking at like people doing big sets on the pull-up bar and then singles almost kind of like to recover a little bit on the snatches. Yeah. Again, it was super athlete dependent. If you knew you could move that last barbell well, then you could, I think, had a lot more room to kind of play with what how you wanted to approach or attack it. Mm. And for some people, they were even a few athletes and good athletes that had to start squat snatching in the in the middle round of fifteen Ooh. towards the end. I so, like that event. Yeah, but I have Bill. I have a, a stat that you are going to love. Give it to me. Of the top eleven men and top eleven women on this test in particular, twenty. No, 19 of the 22 finished in the top 11 by the end of the competition. Ooh. Oh, really? Nine men and 10. No, it was nine men and 10, nine out of 11 and 10 out of 11. Women and men that finished in the top 11 on this finished top 11 by the end. So is this our, is this our indicator test for the weekend? Not, not only is it the indicator test for the weekend, it's one of the highest correlates I've ever seen. I mean, that percentage is definitely one of the highest. And what do you know? What's upper body pulling, right? Isn't that what we've kind of started to kind of worm our way into to say that that's about what it should be looking like? Well, I was going to say classic CrossFit, but you know, you can go that direction too. <laughs> a I mean, a classic, simple, effective test. Simple, right? A simple, effective <laughs> test with high volume gymnastics and high skill weightlifting combined together in a couplet, which like none of this was too high skilled. None of this was too heavy. It allowed the athletes to compete against each other without anything interfering, right? Even the chip work to a certain extent is like, okay, how is your high volume work capacity with local muscle fatigue, especially in the legs and the upper body with the handstand pushups? Do you have the stamina endurance to maintain whatever position you were on the bike? Like there's a lot of pitfalls there. As Brian said, is like, it was kind of all over the place in people's strategy right. here. Yes, it was athlete dependent. Maybe like how you wanted to approach the barbell and number of sets you do, but nobody got out programmed in this event. Well, in your elite level athletes, it's like it's just like what you said. It's uh, a step up in technicality, but not over technical. Like it's not a super heavy snatch where you need to have super super extra precise movement. All these athletes are going to be able to move that bar. They already did it semifinals. They all know what it feels like. All these guys and girls have done 185, 135 pounds at a heavy snatch. And it's not overly technical or overly fatiguing with like a bar muscle up like a, a, a chest to bar pull up now for these athletes is this is everyday run of the mill. So now you you're right. You're talking volume in gymnastics. You're talking moderate uh, weights with the with the weightlifting. And because of the intensity that you're working at, there's your monostroke. There's your your conditioning part. You know, do you know what this would be a perfect event for me? The quarterfinals. <laughs> Oh, dude, yes. Yes. Like the final event of quarterfinals. Yes. Chase, say the name. 
Facilito. 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 My son can say it better than me. Um, that is definitely true. <laughs> you know what we've been doing is like now he's uh, you know if you guys are just joining us is like or haven't heard before it's like you know my kids go to a Spanish immersion daycare now my son is in kindergarten so they don't do Spanish they actually do twice a week for thirty minutes but he could teach the class um, if he wanted to now uh, so after school we just I put on uh, cartoons but like I don't know if you guys know this but like on Netflix or Disney Plus. You can pick like what language it's in now, and it's just all that. It's awesome. It's awesome. awesome. So like, I'll put on Bluey, but I'll put it in Spanish, and he just sits there and watches it, and it's crazy because I have no. I, I honestly I don't know if he really understands what's going on, but like he, it doesn't bother him. And uh, the other it's, night, it's uh, go ahead. If you know if you don't know any Spanish, that's not going to work that well for learning it. But if you know even a little bit, because mm-hmm. I did this when I was living in the Dominican. Republic, I would just put on Spanish music, Spanish talk shows, and just have them in the background, mm-hmm. and I'd start to pick up more and more on yeah. the language. I mean, how many times do you hear people like that's how they learn English? Was like from sitcoms, because <laughs> and Brian's right. If you, if you have some semblance of the language, it does help put some of these things together. It's like okay, when I hear that word, they're alluding to this, or this is how it works in a conversation, which I thought was neat. But my son the other day, I know I'm getting off track, but I was putting him to bed, and he goes, "Dad." how do I know how to speak Spanish and English? He's like, how does my brain do that? I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> but it was really cool because now he starts to recognize, he's like, why, why can I just like switch on and off in between these things randomly? It was, uh, yeah, I've, I have heard this too, Renata. I've heard this from so many people, like friends help them learn English. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, let's go to uh, event number three. This was the, I think, one that got the most buzz leading into it because it is the lifting event, but it all started with the, as Brian dubbed, the mono rope, which I thought was great. Uh, three rounds, 90-second window, 50 double unders with a mono rope, and then a one one rep clean and jerk, and then three. you basically got three attempts, the um, I like seeing the heavy thing in there the next day because, look, we had the two events like we just talked about, and then the next day was just this. This is the only event for the day that they had. Um, switching from snatch to clean and jerk, uh, uh, fine, right? I like seeing something heavy. Watching the monorope because I was like, anytime there's programming, I don't really love doing programming shows before I see it because I usually it usually just changes the way you view. I'm not a fan of the monorope. <laughs> like I'm just not I, I just I'll just say I'm not a fan because it's like uh it just made everybody look silly <laughs> like well 20 percent of the athletes would agree with you because they never got to touch the yeah. bar and it's not even the difficulty thing I'm talking about it's just how they looked it I, just I think that, looked I think that's ridiculous one of those, that's one of those tools that if you're going to do something like that everyone should be able to test it and know it, know it ahead of time because you're right. Then it affects. They gave them time. Now, though. Now, how it much time the did first, they have? To- it was the first announced test. It was announced three weeks before the competition. Okay. More than enough time. I need a day. Uh, I tried it the day of the comp of the, uh, of the test. And I felt like if you gave me a week, I could have figured it out. So like the but first, it- 
the first time I ever used one of these, it was in Carson, California, and it was at RX Smart Gears booth. Yeah, with Dave. And yeah. Dave came out. He's like, "Hey, I'm making this. Like, he, I'm yeah. making this for the adaptive division. Can you try it?" And I tried it, and like, it's not that hard to figure out. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing to throw in there because it's too hard, especially like Brian says, with three weeks of notice, plenty yeah. of time, more than enough time. But watching people do it. I was like, this, everyone just looks like they're bunny hopping and just, it, I was like, just give them double unders, man. Or give them heavy double unders to affect the, uh, I'd rather them use a movement to affect the lift from a physical standpoint than a frustration standpoint. I agree. The, the title of the test is lifting test. Yes. So like, if you're going to have, I mean, we've done it. We've had this format we've, before. We've, we've had it, it at regionals. regionals before where you got to. You know, each one of your different lifting stations, you have to do a handful of double unders beforehand. And, you know, at the NCC, they did it where you had 50 double unders, where it's just kind of a, a little bitty distraction in between. But when you are doing something that kind of takes over, either, like you said, Brian, athletes that didn't even get to the lift or didn't get a, a, a good enough lift off of it, like that's, yeah. Well, let's just say, look, Elena Caratala Sanahuya, Games Athlete in 2022, uh, she got 31st on this test. She wow. She couldn't do the uh, jump rope. She had 11th or better on every other test, and she missed the podium by two points. No oh, money. Oh, my gosh. All because yeah. of her. I, yeah. And I, she's I, one of the strongest lifters in the field. She might have gotten second overall in the competition. There you go. There she oh, is. She wasn't gosh. beating Karen Frey, I'll tell you that. No, <laughs> nobody else was. was in, in her line of sights, potentially. But yeah, it was just one of those things where put, put the double unders in there. Fine. Right. Put them in there. Yeah. Just, we don't need to get cute here. And you know, that's, that's trying new things. I get it. But if I were giving a honest opinion after watching it, cause I already had my reservations. I'll be honest. I was watching it with a critical eye. I'm not going to lie. And then after I saw it, I go, yeah, this is exactly what I didn't want to see. <laughs> Well, I, when I saw it, I, the first thing I thought was, are they going to make him do it like an adaptive athlete? Are they going to force him to do it with one hand? Could you imagine? Well, I mean, other, because uh, otherwise, why well, would you, you have you them do it? You know? There's a guy that was, uh, so they did the broadcast in Spanish as well. It was on DAZN, mm -hmm. and the, the commentators were named Albert and Rodri. And Albert, uh, uh, Naugle is his name. Although I dubbed him Albert Fuego, which means fire. <laughs> when he was in the zone on the broadcast, it was quite impressive. He learned how to do these with one arm. He's a he's multifunctional athlete, huh. no problem. Um, and he was doing them with one arm. And well, we were all struggling to do them with two. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, just look, I like the lifting and test. I like three lifts. I like a little monostructural bind to throw people off because it's not just pure strength. But if I'm just giving an opinion, I, you know. Heavy double unders would have been fine. Regular double unders would have been fine. Um, if you want to add a skill pressure element to that, then just do regular double unders and make them unbroken. Everyone should be able to do that. And if you miss, 50 double unders takes 30 seconds. You get two opportunities. Right. Maybe three. Put some pressure on them, fine. But look, hey, trying new things, whatever. Uh, all right, that was the only event for day two. Then we move to day three. And we have, I'll say it is like El Parque, which just means park, like a playground. Uh, I mean, it does. Getting all bilingual on us now. It just means park for all of you. I only know that because I am like, hey, what did you do today? He's like, 
Vamos a la parque. It's like, cool. All right. You went to the park. Got it. Uh, 5K <laughs> run with a plate carrier, 45 pounds for the men, 35 pounds for the women. And you're coming off a lifting event. No plate carriers. Oh, no plate carriers. I wanted to make sure about okay. that. Okay. Problem, uh, problem with customs. I do think that some of them arrived in time, but I don't think that the crew had enough time to make sure that they, because there were, first of all, all 2,800 athletes did this test on Saturday morning at some point. So okay. the, the logistics of that is massive. And they didn't have enough plate carriers for every male, female, and team athlete to have their own. So they would have needed to make sure that they had, and they didn't get them in enough time to have confidence that they could, that they had gotten all of them and could actually execute it the way they wanted to. So they just scrapped them entirely, which given all of the circumstances, I felt like in the moment was the right decision. Yes. And now, correct me that I'm wrong, Brian, was the course, I believe I heard it was two laps. Is that correct? Was it multiple loops or one lap? I didn't, I didn't lap? go on the course. I don't. I I did hear that it was two laps, but I'm not. I'm not. A, I remember Peter. Not we asked sure. Peter, and he said he thought it was two laps, and that in the middle of each one there was a a significant incline as well. There was definitely a massive hill with a big incline, and if and then, and if there were two laps, and they ran it twice. Yeah. Now, do we know how uh, official this distance is? Uh. If you trust, trust the watches, it was about 5.2. Okay. So a, a sketch or a touch longer. Uh, and the times are pretty reflective of that. I mean, you look at uh, Lazar Jukic, which we know is a great runner, 2030 for a 5K. Travis Mayer, 2042. OJ Keen, 2045. Like, sub 21. I think people understand uh, sub 21 in a 5K is absolutely legit for a multi-purpose athlete like if we're talking about olympics sure i mean you know a thousand pounds back squat versus a 500 pound i get it like specialization out the window like these are legit times especially on the course like this which is why when you know we're at the games and i'm seeing like 16s and 17s from four person teams i was like no fucking way <laughs> like, like no way <laughs> And that's not 0.2 kilometers short. Like we're, you know, it's, it's about half a mile as, as we can. I will tell I'll, I'll give be. you this insight from the athletes. That mono rope caused a lot of uh, soreness in the calves. That Ooh. Affected, and that was a, the bounding a bit harder Friday night. Uh, and the mono rope was Friday night. And this was the first thing Saturday morning. So they had 24 hours off from Thursday night to, to lift hmm. and jump the rope. But then they had like less than maybe, maybe 12 hours off. And they also had to sleep and eat and whatever and wake up and get ready. And the calves were definitely feeling it. Okay. Uh, which will also which will also be relevant. Um, I think it was for the teams later on in the weekend. Okay. But um. But yeah, that was a, definitely a, a factor. And then they had this weird thing after the run. They had like nine hours off until the uh, oh, fr- wow. uh, Saturday night test. Interesting. But I mean, coming off of a five k a sustained effort like that. I mean, nine hours, that's a long time. Almost, a long almost time. too long. There was another hill. At the very end, they had to run up the loading ramp into the, into the oh, stadium. Oh, yeah. And okay. That would, I mean, and look, I told you, all 3,000 athletes did this. And there were some very devastated athletes going up that ramp at the end of that That run. ramp is significant, <laughs> by the way. I, like, I've been it there. Is. Like, that ramp is legit. It's a long and steep for, for, the, for the end, right? We're talking about maybe 100 
meters. It's yeah, long. Maybe 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 two hundred. Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. So, um, I like the five. I like some long aerobic test in there coming off the lift, and even the first chipper heavy on the gymnastics in a sense. So we we've touched a, a few different bases here. So I, I think we're uh, I think we're moving in the right direction. So day two going into day three, you have the uh, the burpee maker. So we've switched languages as we switch events. For time, 75 burpees over the bar in a two-minute window. Every two-minute window, I'm assuming, Brian, starts with a 16 and 12-calorie row into 12 thrusters at 40 and 30 kg, which is 88 or 66 pounds. And then max bar-facing burpees, basically have five sets to get there. So effectively, 75 bar-facing burpees for time with those buy-ins each two minutes. Which is just shitty. Dude. Like, my ugly. God. <laughs> like they should have just it's named, t- not Burpee Maker, they should have just named it Puke. It's gross. It's gross. It's completely evil up and super low barrier to entry. Yep. Pretty much everyone can do these things. No, that, that weight, the fact that it's less than 95, 65, or, you know, for like for the, it's like yeah. it's kind of right in there. You know, like these, all these athletes know exactly how fast they can go on that. Uh, it's so bad. It's good. But and so 16, 12, I mean, gosh, what were the, the times they're getting? So 16, 12 at a conservative pace, so you're not going to kill yourself. What, 40 to 45 seconds? Oh, the athletes were finishing the buy-in. Uh, it, was, it would range from a minute to a minute 20. Maybe yeah. a minute to a minute 30 was the range as the, as the rounds progressed. Yeah, so it's like 40 to 45 on the row, 20 to 25 with transition times on the thruster. So, yeah, yeah. so they would have had 40 to 45 seconds or 40 seconds to get through these? Some of them were faster. Some of them had like 55 seconds Damn. in the early rounds. I know, they're savages, man. It's crazy. That's wild. And then I saw some uh, things at the finish line. Was it the women's elite heats where they had to cross the finish line for the time to stop, not finish the 75th burpee? So some people had to do the whole buy-in again and then there run across the finish things, line? There were, there were two things about the way that the design of this test was uh, implemented. It was, br- it was briefed. In a, in, they executed on the floor the way it was briefed, which if you're a competition organizer, you must do that. Even if you're watching and you know that you screwed up the briefing, you have to follow through on what you briefed, even if it really is, is not ideal. You should hopefully have thought about those things ahead of time. There are two things that I didn't like about the way that they implemented this. The first is that during the rest interval, let's say you did 20, because you had to advance the bar after 20, 20, mm-hmm. 20, 10, and then you did five in the last one, and you had to cross the finish line. The if you fit, if you did twenty in the first interval, you, and you didn't move your bar, you could still move your bar during the rest interval. Okay. But if you did finish the five at the end, and you didn't cross the finish line, you couldn't cross the finish line. You had to do exactly what you just said and go back mm. and row and thruster again to do no more burpees just to cross the finish line. Mm. the The main reason I didn't like that is to me it seemed inconsistent. You could you could progress something as you were going, but not at the very end. And their justification was, well, that it's not a rep to move the barbell, but it is a rep to cross the finish line. My counterpoint was it takes time to do both. Right. So you shouldn't allow either or you should allow both. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I did not like, and Travis Mayer took full advantage of this, and it's not on Travis. This is a competition thing, not an athlete thing. Sure. He, 
there was no specification about how far you had to roll your bar within a, a like a five meter zone. Mm, so he okay. rolled it one inch into the zone, started doing burpees, and then during the rest interval, he rolled it all the way to the end of the zone. Oh wow, that's smart. Yeah, it's I'll give smart, him that. But I, but it was the difference between him winning and Yonikoski winning it because Yonikoski was rolling it to the middle every time. Mm-hmm. And there were some judges that were asking their athletes to roll it forward and others that weren't. So I, I, overall, I, I felt like in a, in a test that had mar- small margins for error at yeah. every interval, those are the only two athletes at all to finish in three intervals, which was, I thought was perfect, dude. There were a couple athletes that got time capped, okay. two that finished in three intervals, the best finished in four, most finished in five. It was really, really, I thought, well designed for this style of test, which is a hard thing to get right. But it was small margins. There were like 10 people within 10 seconds on the men's side in one of the margins. Mm-hmm. And those little things could potentially affect many points that had big payoff implications at the end of the competition. So I didn't love that about this, even though I thought the test in and of itself was awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is, you got the leg drive and pull with the hinge on the row. Then you have the leg drive and stand and press with the thruster and then the burpee is just full body gymnastics movement over the bar. Like, yeah, this is good. It's really awful. And because of the nine hours rest. I mean, I, I talked to, Oh, Lazar. that's a good point. I talked to Lazar and Luca. They went home. They had a big meal. They took a shower. They had a three hour nap. They woke up. They did mobility. They had another meal. They were fresh. They could attack this thing. That's a good point. Good point. Uh, I like this one a lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Um, as you said, point margins. Uh, Travis Mayer wins this at 7.53 and Yonikoski only four seconds behind him. So yeah, barbells and positioning uh, do make a difference <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> All right, event number six. We have hands three rounds for time, handstand walks, basically stairs and ramp is the obstacle 25 cal ski 12 and nine ring muscle-ups handstand walk back ramp to stairs move a chest piece three rounds just for people that are listening 20 slash 15 cal ski you, you said 25. Oh, sorry 20 yeah slash 15 cal ski uh so you got inverted obstacle ski with ring muscle-ups which i think is a terrible i'm not terrible as in like a bad like just the same kind of interference we saw in the previous one of movement patterns, like a skier with that core flexion into the pole and skier blows your triceps up a lot. In fact, probably more than any other muscle group when it comes to ski. And then the ring muscle ups where the hardest part is the damn dip out of the rings. Like this is a, and then the handstand. Wow, man. I just like with the, <laughs> this the skier, is, you have, you got that flexion from the top half coming down, mm-hmm. but then the ring muscle up, you have the bottom half coming up. Mm-hmm. So it's all midline. I mean, depending on how you're working it, but you're working the top half and then bottom half right into it. And you, and you have to, I mean, you got to go all in on those because all the athletes are going to be decent, I mean, for the most part, at this point now with the stairs and the ramp. Like yep. we've, done that a ha- we've done that enough times now. You would think that, like, for the most part, athletes would be decent, granted, until their midline starts to blow out. Or their upper body stability from that 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 press out, but the um, I love I like the stairs to ramp is generally harder than the ramp to stairs, and a lot of programmers like to put the hardest thing last. I liked that the uh, hardest implement was first on this because even the ramp to stairs got difficult for a lot of the elite athletes mm-hmm. as the rounds progressed. Yeah, 
It, it's interesting that it is ramp to stairs. Do you think that'd be the more difficult one or the easier one? Easier. Yeah. Yeah. But just say, so and, and what hot, it is, uh, it's the stairs because you need way more shoulder strength and tricep stamina to press up through a step than you do walking up the ramp. I hated the, the steps every time I do this damn obstacle. Well, because you have, I mean, you're literally pressing up on one hand with mm-hmm. the ramp. You have, I mean, you can come up incrementally, small hand steps, whatever you need to do to, to, to work the balance plus lean on that one side as you're pressing out mm-hmm. the steps. I mean, there's a, you don't get to make that decision. You have to go up the three inches or four inches, whatever it is to make that step. Yeah. I like the this cool thing about the way the cool thing about this one played out was it reminded me of legless finale with the men where everyone was looking at each other. Do I go? Oh yeah. Okay, am I ready to go? Okay. He's going, is he going to make it or do I just watch and see? And then, you know, whatever. And there were a lot of people there like, he's going, I have to go. And then, <laughs> they, you know, one of them yeah. would make it. One of them wouldn't make it. So you could put the pressure on the other guy or you could say like, okay, let's see if you got it or not. And if you do great, you'll get the points. And if not, I'm going to take an extra 10 seconds because you're going to need 30. Was there I, a distance I, that they had to walk, including the ramp? Very small. Okay. Very small. It's like maybe two feet or a meter on either side of the, of the uh, obstacle. Okay. And I thought it was suspiciously short that distance on either side but the way that it pra- played out i i actually think that for what this was meant to be mm-hmm. and the way it fit into the weekend that it was brilliant i think it's actually really it's pretty cool because it's not it's i mean it's not a skill to hand stand and walk with the obstacle that is unfamiliar but now with that short distance i mean you have to push going up and down that ramp you don't have the lead in and Uh the distance after that that you can kind of work or have handstand walk where a lot of athletes can basically sit there and do a foot race on their hands you have to nail that with some precision Mm -hmm. up and down and it's i mean it's easy to kind of fudge your way through just a flat ground but you know it's it's more difficult on a up and down object that you're trying to move and then after multiple times when you're doing it under fatigue i think it's i think it's awesome Lazar Jukic told me he hasn't missed a handstand ramp in uh, an obstacle in two years. I think he missed eight times in this test. Holy shit. shit. Wow. What, what, about this one, too, because the way it reads, people not may not understand it, but like the amount of local muscle fatigue in this, in the smallest muscle groups that are the only things that can actually keep you upright, fast on the ski, or dipping out of the rings right? Rear delts, triceps, all your stabilizers in your shoulders. And once those go, it doesn't matter how strong you are. Right. Right. If you don't have those, the other thing too, is that, okay, the way it reads, you're like, all right, handstand walk over an obstacle, this cow ski and ring muscle up and then handstand walk back and then right back into the obstacle again. Right. So you're turning around, you're coming down the steps and then you're going right into the most difficult part of the obstacle back into it. And after that first round, you do that double up. You're like, Oh, sh- <laughs> uh Oh, yeah. There were many athletes that took their time moving that chest piece. <laughs> <laughs> how far did they have to go with the chest piece? Five, like I much? think it was a five-meter move. Each, okay. I mean, not so they insignificant. They had to move it five meters twice, and then after the last one, they had to run 20 meters to the finish line. Okay. Did People what were, ran that 20 meters very fast. <laughs> <laughs> what were people doing on the ring muscle-ups on, say, your top five athletes on the men and the women's side? This is what was I thought was cool about this. Annika Greer managed to do all the sets unbroken. Oh. And she won the she won this test because of that. Karen Frey, who I would say overall uh, 
no one was surprised she won. I mm. was very impressed with her execution, test to test, and and especially on the gymnastics, the strict handstand push-ups, the ring muscle-ups, and the handstand uh, obstacle course in particular. She did three sets every time, and she still finished in the top three. So, but she was wow. making up ten seconds on the field on the ski, I would say, but uh-huh. she didn't miss on the ramp. So you could be selective about where you where you were good, mm-hmm. and you could capitalize on different elements of this uh, combination. So. I really, I thought that again was a really cool feature of this one. And I like, I like that a lot because like, if you're a weapon on the handstand walks, it's like, not only am I efficient, it takes me less time. That means I'm less fatigued. If I can go fast here, I can afford breaking on the rings, which will also keep me less fatigued versus say someone else who has to, I like that. Yeah. I do like that. I like this one a lot too. Totally. Um, and it would fill the it filled the need in the in the competition up to this point, which was a you know a test that was definitely muscular fatigue and gymnastics focused. Mm-hmm. And then, so going into the final event, which I don't know if they actually like posted on their Instagram, but the final event being Brian, walk us through the what the final event was. It was called Iberus. Iberus is a reference to Iberia, which is the peninsula that has Spain and Portugal on it. And it is a ham, a type of ham that they produce there. So instead of the pig, this is Russian oh, okay. equipment providers' version of the pig called the Iberus. I thought that was very clever and obviously appropriate for the setting. And and uh, you had a buy-in on the uh, assault runner of 400 meters, and then you had a couplet after that: three, two, one on the ropes, eight, five, three on the flips with the Iberus. For the men, all of the rope climbs were legless. For the women, the first one in every round was legless. The rig was, you had to touch the beam and it was 16 feet off the floor. Okay. Mm. That extra foot matters. Yeah. It mattered for some athletes. Yeah. I would say that a lot. And what I like here is that you have basically a slight WMD triplet finale. You've got the flips up and down the field. I like the way they, uh, they broke up the number of flips that they did, which was eight, five, three, as you said. So eight flips down the floor, five, and then the final three across the finish line. I, I like that as well. I, I like this whole setup because you have another sneaky, you know, local muscle fatigue that we didn't necessarily have in the previous event, which was more of a, in a pressing situation. And then here with the legless and rope climbs mixed with the pig flip, which I, I feel like everyone thinks like, oh, the weight. And I was like the grip on those things, because one is there were places to put your hands, but there's not a lot of good grip to get on those. Unless you put your hands in those like back slots. And I saw someone do it. I was like, please don't do that again. You are going to break every bone in your hand when that flips over. Yes. Well, the, the, and the, JR is very particular about the engineering of those things. And I told him, I said, because he, he was very impressed from the way that it looked watching it on, on TV. And they did have the slots in there that had a nice rounded area to grip and pull it up from but the mm-hmm. transition out of there was awkward and probably not advised as you're talking her parts where you could grab it from had a little bit of a, a rough edge and required definitely everyone i spoke to said it's more grip than you think mm-hmm. well we've seen exactly you know rope climbs in well we'll, we'll say pig flipping rather than abuse <laughs> try that again <laughs> Um, we've seen what that we we've seen what that what that has done to, you know, did we see what happened to Matt Fraser than that when he had that? He's like, couldn't right. do a rope climb. Well, that was because it was grip, and this is that exact same setup, 
you know, going into that where you're, you're being forced on those legless, you're being forced on the, it's grip, 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 grip all the way through. So that's, I mean, that it's not, it, that's a nasty couplet mm-hmm. between those two back and forth. I liked it as a finale. I thought there were some great races at the end, especially on the women's side when it came down to, um, was Elena trying to get into that podium spot and just had to like vault herself was she in the final? I think she was in the final heat, but yeah. it was it. There was there was. I remember there's just so much going on in point systems. Is like she was. I think she missed it by two, and then the two girls behind her maybe tied like one point behind her as well. Like it was tight for that last podium spot. Uh, it was crazy on the women's side. So Karen Frey was a was a runaway, and she was incredibly impressive, as we said. Annika Greer seemed to have control of everything and and had a perfect execution of this. I was very impressed with her on the whole weekend. I mean, look, if you look at her results, she had a 29th place on the run, and she was upset about that, emotional, but she had told me later on in the weekend that she's like, I ran well for me. It was just a mm. good running field, and I have to just accept that. Everything else was really impressive. So they were kind of one and two. Sylvia Garcia, despite that burpee thing, cost her like 20 points. She still had like 20-point lead or 18 or 20-point lead on Elena Caratala going into the final. Keep in mind, Elena Caratala got basically no points for lifting which right. is very good at and then there was Turi Helgedotter and Emily Lundberg that were like in Norcha Blecker which were like somewhat in range and I said on the broadcast I was like they're not out of it but it would, everything would have to go right and for uh I don't think your leader is your leaderboard updated yeah here we go oh yeah it is updated yeah yeah so you see how close it ended up being so I was calling on the broadcast I'm like uh because I knew Holly Tynan had had that time that came in, so I didn't think Lundberg had, do, had done enough. Also, I wasn't sure if she'd beaten Annika Greer or not. They ended up tying on that. They get that to the second with no tenths of seconds or chip timers, so they tied on that. And uh, I was like, I think Elena Caratala and Sylvia Garcia are going to be within five points based on my rough math from the previous okay. We didn't have a CIS link or anything like that. Well, they... We, and then I went down to the floor because they had, we were way up broadcasting from up high behind the sound barrier. So YouTube wouldn't block the feed from the music. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which is always weird. Really, it was a really good vantage point to see the floor. It was difficult to see inside the rig. That rig outside of Zeus is the most massive and impressive rig I've ever seen. Hmm. When there were, when there were 40 athletes doing ring muscles at the same time, it was not shaking. Wow. It was amazing. Um, they had four spots for handstand push-ups in a row on the same plane. They had four spots for wall balls facing that. They had You could have put four ropes up there if you wanted to do. They had four sets of rings in every lane. It was really impressive. Um, but uh, I went down because they were doing ceremony, podium ceremony for every division. Okay. 3,000 athletes, however many divisions there were. Yeah. And then we were going to do a quick post-show broadcast anyway. So I was down on the floor. I was actually talking to Emily Lundberg and Simon Mantilla. They were the last people I talked to before I went back upstairs, and I had no idea that she'd finished third. I didn't even check the leaderboard. I was like, it's going to be Elena or Sylvia. I get up there. Greg's already up there, and he's looking at the stream, and he's like, why is Emily Lundberg on the podium? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, holy – I'm like, oh, my God. Did the perfect scenario happen? We still, I still haven't seen the leaderboard. So I, like, text Hanu. I'm like, can you send me a screenshot of the leaderboard because he's right down by scoring? And he texts it to me, and I scroll over, and I'm like – it was it was the perfect scenario. Wow! And she went. She got on there by two points. That's wild. What a close race on on the women's side. That's awesome. Uh, Karn Frey. I know she's been uh, 
one of, not to say one of your favorites, but someone that we got to see really showcase her talents in Dubai, I want to say three or four years ago. And you could tell like... 2019. Yeah. You could tell that, God, time flies, <laughs> that there was a lot of promise there. Should she continue working on weaknesses, getting more um, experience and training and competitive landscape and now what she's been doing at the games the last couple of years uh, she got her braces off obviously that helps in competition um, <laughs> but her growth as an athlete and then what she did here um at madrid what are your thoughts on her i know it's early but coming off this 2023 season going into that 2024 season can you i feel like she has Strong potential to obviously be a top 10 athlete, but maybe in a couple of years pushing into that top five. The the top of the women's division in, in CrossFit right now is extremely interesting, exciting, and competitive. Uh, if you just look at the women that were in the top 10 this year, there were a few surprises. Ariel Lowen, Alex Gazand, for, for me at least, outperforming what I expected well within the top 10. You look at people like Alexis Raptus, I think she's only getting better. Paige Powers only getting better. You, you know, you wonder about athletes like Katrin David's daughter. Was that as like is she the, with all those others coming up, is this as good as she can do? And how long can she hold on to that? Annie was just outside. Same question for her. Mm. Will Mel O'Brien ever compete again? Will Haley Adams ever compete again? Emma Carey's not going anywhere. Tia's coming back, most likely. There's not a lot of room inside the top ten. Kara Frey has all the tools that are required to be in the top ten. But there's may not be enough space. Yeah. God, look at these names. And and tell me who of that top ten is so old that they're gonna move out of the way. <sighs> the only ones you could even consider pointing to in terms of age being a limiter for them finishing the top ten next year are Katrin and Ariel. Yeah. And based on what I saw from them this season, it's like I think they could do it again, especially given that we've seen women like Annie, Cara, and Sam continue to be competitive well into their 30s. Even mm -hmm. Brent and Pat are continuing to do that on the men's side, which is more difficult to do. And then you add in, I mean, the the it, the thing is that like the uh, older athletes, Emma Tall, Emily Rolf, Annie Thorsner, even Bethany Flores, they're just on the outside. Um, but then you, like I said, if you throw Tia, let's just, you know, I don't know, I have no, no idea about Mal, but let's just throw Tia and Haley back into the mix. Right. <laughs> yeah. And look at those yeah, scores. So, look how tight that is. I mean, it's not like there were like these big chunks of people either. Like it's, you know, 5, 10, 15, 12, 10, 5 points. It's tight. But Brian, like, I feel like it was a year ago, maybe, maybe two, that we weren't talking about the women's field like this. No. It was all about the men's. Like the men's field is so tight. It's so heavy at the top. There's no way you can, like it's so hard to move up two spots once you get towards the top 15 and the top 10. And now it seems like there is a death hold in the top 10. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Tia and Matt had some impact on that when there's one person that's just so good. It's like trying draws so much attention that sometimes you maybe miss out on it. But I think there's also just ebbs and flows to that. And like we just said, you know, most of those women are between 18 and 25 years old. So they're, they're all elevating. They all still have a minimum of five years of relative competitive in their, uh, you know, CrossFit in their future if they want it and still can maintain the discipline and passion for it. And I, I just, I think it's a, uh, 
it's an incredible dynamic yeah. that we have on the women's field for several years ahead of us. Look at this. Paige Powers, least. 20. Daniel Brandon, 27. Emma Carey, 19. Catherine Davis' daughter, 30. Alexis Raptus, 24. Gazan, 21. Megawa, 24. Lowen, 29. Lawson, 18. And Horvath is only 26. Like, geez. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah, that's exciting to see. On the men's side, I thought it was pretty cool to see. Obviously, you see Travis Mayer back in the mix and the way he performed uh, in this field. As we said earlier, it was Lazar Jukic that won the overall weekend with Yonikowski getting second, only 20 points back, and then Travis Mayer third. I went down there, and the, the lead were obviously last to go for the award ceremony, so they were at the back of the line. And where I came down from the broadcast area, they were they were closest there. So I saw Facundo. He's with Karen and, Laz- and Lazar. He took coaches, both of them now. And, you know, so I got a picture with him. Lazar, the first thing he says to me, he goes, I'm like, are you happy? He goes, I'm happy. But you want to beat me on five of the seven tests. <laughs> feels a little weird. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, interesting. I mean, yeah, that's uh, – but well-roundedness will do that. I mean, how many times? Well, the next person I saw was Yona. Okay. And he's like, and I told him that, and he la- was laughing about it. And he's like, yeah, but I just totally screwed up the lift. I mm. missed my second and third lifts. Oh, he missed so both. He just okay. took full responsibility on that. If he hits either one of those, he, I think he wins. Man. And then wow. Travis Mayer, 10 points behind Yonikowski. Uh How did Travis look overall? It was so great to see everything about Travis Mayer that weekend for me was amazing to see refreshing to see it was his, uh, his presence prior to the competition his demeanor throughout his focus on the floor he was he was thriving and at the very end we did something that I thought was kind of cool we you know and I, and I know that not everyone can maybe do this but we interviewed the winners after the podium ceremony okay after the final test the final heat of the final test we did two interviews because we had Josie Astula there as an MC, speaks Spanish. So we interviewed Martin Cuervo, Elena Caratala, and Studio CrossFit, three Spanish-speaking uh, entities that we had not spoken to all weekend. And that was primarily for the crowd on site and the zone audience that was listening to the Spanish broadcast. And then we interviewed another athlete in English that uh, Bella Martin did those that we had, uh, had, had brief to no interactions with. And so we talked to Travis at that point. We talked to the, the Danish team, Fleck X, which is a very good team that just missed the podium there. And both of those people, Travis and then Victor Munter, who represents that team, they said something that I think is extremely high praise for this competition in general. And they're like, yeah, man, like we have a great time here. We, mm. we There's a reason we come back every year and we'll be back again. I mean, so tra- I mean, Travis is, is as far as you ask me. Like Travis is back, and he looked yeah. great, and he and he looked like he was enjoying himself, which you guys know is just as important as your ability to execute on the floor is that you want to be there and you're enjoying what you're doing. He was competing hard. He had a great. I even felt like he, I mean, he's a competitor. Like he wants to win. Oh yeah. And he was like, you know, he was he he said in that interview. Bella asked him a question. She goes, "What did you learn this weekend?" And he goes, "Oh wow, great question." And he goes. Every second counts, every kilo counts. On the lifting test, he lifted 154 kilos. Five men lifted 155 kilos. Oh, wow. <laughs> he would have, he would have that been was it. For yeah, sure. that was second place. Yeah. One kilo. Wow. And, I, and, it was, and it was like it's such a genuine interview. 
the things that he's like that response. Oh, great question. And then to say something like that, I mm -hmm. thought was an incredible insight into his mindset, validated the other thing that he said about the competition and about his mentality as a competitor. That like even immediately after he knew that hmm. he remembered that. Yeah, he'll he, take that with him. He's one, he's always been one of those athletes that has when you watch him, he, he has one of the overall best mindsets. As far as longevity competitor goes, yeah, he's laughing and having a good time before he goes. And when he's in, he's all business. And when he's out, he's like, well, dang, how did I, how was that? That <laughs> sucked. You know, it's all goofy and silly. And yeah. it's like, he really knows when to put the emphasis of like, you know, head down, go to work. And the second he doesn't have to head down, go to work. He can take a very honest look at it. Doesn't seem to take himself you know, uh, too seriously or over seriously. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how the hell the guy does it with as many kids as he has. Dude, that guy, like that guy pisses is me off beast. so much. <laughs> now, granted, he, he always taught and what uh, the other thing is like, he always gives high praise to his wife. Mm -hmm. Like I could not do any of the stuff I do without her doing all that. But I mean, just being at that level, being able to train that way, keeping his head space where he does, Knowing yeah. that he has half a baseball team, you know, in the minivan <laughs> waiting for him. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. It's and I just want to say this. And just in case any partners of someone who's competing competitively in CrossFit is listening to this, I have had a few conversations with athletes and or their partners at these competitions that I've gone to. And I've I had just originally it was with no intent, just being genuine with them. I had said to uh, someone's partner, I said, it's it's it really takes a lot to support someone who wants to pursue this sport. Mm -hmm. And then I got a message from the um, the competitor a couple of days later that is basically was like a, a long message saying, "You have no idea how much that meant to her and means to me that you said something like that." And so just to echo what Bill's saying is like if you're supporting someone, but if you're with someone who's competing in this sport, especially if you have kids, my goodness, you mean a lot. Like you matter a lot, and I hope that you know that. Yeah, it's incredible. And we're glad that they, you know, make the sacrifices that they do to support that because as, as fans of the sport and seeing what these athletes can do, I think it's, uh, it's great. So, all right. So end of the weekend, exciting finishes. Good to see some athletes back in the mix. Nice to see some athletes taking the next step forward. Now let's look at the programming overall for me, macro perspective before we give our review. And the, the big thing, if you guys remember is I think last year was probably one of the worst reviews I've ever given on programming was at the Madrid championship. There was a lot of things that went into play there, uh, size, time constraints, scheduling, equipments that were forced upon, number of people that could do things. There's a lot of things that constrain that. Um, I would say is that there are still ways to make things good without like all the bells and whistles, but this one, four days, all day to do these things, two, one, two, two, as far as number of events, allowed me a bit more freedom there. However, it wasn't a wild amount of new things thrown in here. Uh, you look overall between weightlifting, monostructural gymnastics, those three modalities that you program within, there's five weightlifting, uh, sandbag squat, snatch, clean and jerk, thruster, and then the pig flips. You look at monostructural, there were six. Uh, in fact, six of the seven events had monostructural within them and made different capacities, intervals, uh, long duration run, short duration run buy-in, skis for rounds, rows for intervals, uh, and, and that bike with a big chunk in the middle. And then gymnastics, there was nine. So five weightlifting, nine gymnastics, six monostructural. So a little heavier on the gymnastics in that capacity. 
Time frames, 14 to 16 minutes in event one, eight to 10 minutes in two. You had your little heavy day. Run 20 to 22 minutes. The interval tests ranged from 10 to 12 minutes for the majority of people. I know some did faster and some did a little slower. Uh, eight to Around eight, seven to nine minutes for the event six, and then five to seven minutes on event seven. So a good range of times. And the bulk of your time frame of that like eight to 12 minute window and some more classic CrossFit tests were there. You had something outside the 20 minutes. You had something that was a heavy day. And then you had something that was an interval test within that. You had chippers, you had couplets, um, a lot of mixed match of modalities. So WMG test one, GW test two, mono W test three, monostructural only test four. Weightlifting, monostructural gymnastics, test five, gymnastics and monostructural test six, and then weightlifting, monostructural gymnastics and test seven. So looking at all of this, I know it was a little heavier gymnastics, but there's nothing I look at that was like overpowered. In my opinion, you had, you know, handstand pushups, you had pistols, you had GHD sit-ups, <clears throat> box jumps at a high jump, you had burpees off the floor, chest-to-bar pull-ups, handstand walks, muscle-ups, legless, like I thought there was a great balance. And when I'm looking at this in total at the end of the weekend, I think this is a fantastic, fantastic programmed event. Uh, probably one of my top ones in the off season so far and top, including the game season that we've had. And I'm going to give this like a 1.7, 1.7 for me on the programming. I, I thought Dang. they did a great job. Really great job. That's huge. Um, I would have to echo the fact that I think that uh, it well, well programmed for an off-season event. Um, I do think that there were... I, I actually liked the um, the amount of gymnastics things that they did. I mean, you talked about it being a little bit heavy. I think that this is a perfect time to have that sort of mm-hmm. level, to have that increase because you know, as the athletes are talking about, they weren't beat up. They don't right. get beat up by doing pull-ups and ring muscle-ups. That just doesn't happen, you know, not for these guys. Um, I think that even though they did get below parallel, they were the thrusters, they were the, uh, you know, the, the, the snatches once they probably got to there. Um, some of the leg work that was happening in the first and the pistols and stuff like that. Mm. I wish that they could have gone a little bit heavier on some of the weightlifting stuff. I think that having just your one, the, the weightlifting with the stupid jump rope deal, I, <laughs> I, like personally, I am. I, I think that they wasted. They wasted that one event. Um, mm, mm-hmm. I, I'm. I'm. T- I'm I, honestly. I'm over every single event having to have a one rep max. We've seen it in, in like every single event now is happening. It's like they do something in a one rep max. They always have to have that. I'm waiting for someone to do like a touch and go for five, unbroken or something. Something where it's like, okay, it, you don't just give that one beast the one chance every single event. Um, I think that you can very well, especially early in the season. I mean, when you, when you have the games, when you have 15 events, okay, you can do, and we've talked about this a whole lot of times where the more events you have, then you can start having your single modality tests. Um, I would have really liked to have seen the 5k with the, uh, with the bag, like that, make it more of a ruck setup instead mm. of it just ended up being, I understand why they did it. I would have done the exact same thing. I'm just bummed that it turned out that way. I would have rather been more than just a regular run um, this time in the season. But um, as far as everything else, I, I love the chipper. 
I love the the chest to bar and the snatch event. Um, the burpee event was I dude, I love those kind of intervals where you have to buy in and then it's like, okay, everyone's gonna get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> and now let's see what now let's see what kind of work you can do. I love that setup. I think it's amazing. Granted, you could have cleaned it up or whatever, but like on paper, that was amazing. So I mean, of the of the seven events that they had there were five that I thought were just fire. Mm-hmm. They were great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go like a, like a one, five, five. Ooh. All right. you got an extra. I really, I thought it was, there. I thought it was good. That was really good. I just, I, I just, you know me, I wanted to go a little heavier. I want it to be a little heavier. I think that's a fair critique. So what do you think? What do you think, Brian? Come on, Brian. Line them up. <laughs> No, I, I mostly agree with you guys. I, I think that the, the main things that I'm docking them for are the uh, the jump rope standard uh, having a, a effect on the weightlifting test mm-hmm. that I, I didn't love that element of it. And uh, yeah, the, you know, the ruck run, I, I, I completely agree with Bill. Uh, prior to either of your rankings, I was going to give it a one and three quarter thumbs or a 1.75. Cool. All right. All centered around the same thing. I think we can all agree on is that uh, <clears throat> huge bounce back year for the uh, Madrid CrossFit Championship from last year to this year. Uh, Elliot Simmons and company, golf clap for you. Well done. Totally. Uh, I really like the test. A little bit heavier in there, probably uh, balance some things out. But that being said, is like Karn Frey still won, yeah. and she's more well known for be able to move bigger weights better than say, you know, the aerobic endurance and the high skill gymnastics volume. So I feel like that could be a testament to her evolution as an athlete, like we just talked about a little bit earlier, but uh, congrats Madrid, Brian, thank you so much for joining the show. Good luck in the rest of your world tour uh, for yourself. And uh, where can people go to get more, I would say information on what you're doing and you know, you're, I know you're talking about some write-ups some podcasts, where can people go? Yeah, every uh, everything that I'm doing for the most part is on Be Friendly Fitness on Instagram and on the website, BeFriendlyFitness.com. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks again for your time. <laughs> you, got you guys have a good rest of your weekend. 